So if you have your Bibles, please open to Genesis chapter 3. We are in our uh, series, Genesis, and we're really right now going through uh, chapters 1 through 11 at a 30,000-foot visual. And, and you know, it's, we're not able to hit everything. If you go and, you're, and you, last week you went, man, he just blew through chapter 2. I'm going to say, yes, I did. But I just sort of went on the area I felt like God wanted me to focus on. And so this week, we are into chapter 3, and this is where all the fun starts. This is where all the fun starts, and if you're familiar with your Bible, you'll know that this is the area of the fall. So we begin to see the betrayal part going into it. So let's just, we're going to read some stuff, uh, a number of verses, and then we'll begin to elaborate. In verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and remember we talked last week, right? Good for food, there's beauty, and then there's truth. And that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed the fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. I, I'm just gonna, I just gotta say this. Women, you get a bad jive here from some people. Let, let me just throw this in here. Like, I like how Adam did this. This is typical male behavior. Actually, this is human behavior. You get called out for something, right? We call it thrown under the bus at work, right? You didn't do something right. Oh, it was that person. And so Eve was the first who bought in, but Adam, before everything, God told him the purpose of that tree personally, and Adam was responsible for that. So although Eve did, Adam did not get out of anything here, Adam was thoroughly responsible and God hold, held Adam to account. So guys, it doesn't work blaming your wife for your mess up. Just doesn't, just doesn't. Anyway, verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust 
you shall eat all, and thus you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that is what is called by theologians the scarlet thread of redemption. It's where Jesus, not the first time he showed up, but the plan that God had for our redemption shows up on the scene here. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plant of the the plants of the field. By the sweat of the face of you, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And this is the word of the Lord. Some hard stuff in there. Hard stuff in there. But let's go back to the narrative. Last week we talked about three trees. This, this time we're going to focus on one tree. And uh, we're going to call this the tree that's in the center of the garden. The one that, and I'm not saying it is, the one that um, God said to Adam, you shall not take or touch of this tree. So he said, you can have everything else. And so man and woman had maximum use of all of creation. Just think about that. Just think about it. Look, most people like to focus on what they can't do as opposed to what they can do, right? So in, in America, we have this tendency to complain about all the things that we can't do instead of the things, the plethora of things that we can do. And so God gave them massive freedom. You can do this, you can do this, you can do this. You can do everything except this, except take from the tree. So it placed a restraint on them. We all like restraints, right? So, but it did that, and what does it do? It shows that we are still, um, we are responsible to God and that he is the creator and we are the creation. We have limits. Even in this life, we have limits, right? So we have that tree there. And, and next slide is gonna, I wanna just sort of introduce to you the, the popular view, uh, one of the popular views of Satan, right? One is that he's the snake, and one is that it was an apple tree. Let me just uh, put this thing into play. It, there is nowhere in the Bible that says it was an apple tree. Apples get a bad rap, all right? But, and Satan is not this pitchfork dude with uh, pointy horns who's scary to everybody. Matter of fact, if you met him, you would probably think he's probably one of the coolest dudes around. You know, so... Get that out of your mind. I mean, there are some references here. We're going to go into it, but we want to talk about what the Bible says Satan really is, not get caught up on, well, there was a snake there one time in an apple tree. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's just wasting time arguing these things. Let's talk, look at Satan in Ezekiel chapter 28. You were blameless. This is... I'm speaking about him. In your ways from the day you were created. So first off, Satan was created. He did not pre-exist. 
God. He was not coexistent with God. He was created. Till unrighteousness was found with you. So there was a change, right? So Satan was this, uh, uh, many said he was like God's, in a sense, right-hand man. Not the Trinity part of the right-hand man type thing, but he was the, the regent in a sense, that he was trusted one until something came up inside of him. He was a created being. Isaiah 14 says this, and I want you to pay attention to the repeat of words. I'm gonna read it real slow and see what you hear. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount, I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Not too hard of a test here. What do you hear? I what? I will. Satan's saying, I will. I will do what I want to do. I will choose what truth is. I will choose what beauty is. I will choose what goodness is. And that's sort of referencing the last week. I will do all these things. And then God began to see something that was not part of his character. Something changed. Something diametrically changed. So we'll go back to the picture. Satan with Eve, he took the positive invitation to take everything except for, with only one exception, into a negative prohibition. Now, it's not hard if you're parents, you know, and you've got that proverbial cookie jar, or in our house, it's the half gallon of ice cream. And in our house, in particular, it's mint chocolate chip. Not for me, but for everyone else. And if I bought a thing of mint chocolate chip thing in there, and I suck it in there, and I said, you can have everything in the freezer. You can have everything in the refrigerator. You can have everything else. But don't eat. Don't eat the mint chocolate chip ice cream. How appealing is everything else that's in the fridge and freezer? We begin to fixate. I'm picking on kids, but we do it as adults, right? We know we're not supposed to go through the drive-thru and grab some of that crap we're grabbing, right? We know that we shouldn't be overdosing on caffeine or having this extra whatever, but we do it, right? Because I have a will. I am gonna do what I want to do. I'm tough guy. I'm a, I'm a, a, a 20th, first century woman. How are you say that stuff? You know, I am large and in charge, and I can do whatever I want to do. It's the, it's the stamp of a, being a strong American, right? I think Satan would fit right in. I think he sort of has fit right in. Let that permeate a little bit. I think he's fit right in in our homes. I'm not talking about the world right now. I'm just talking in here. I think he's fit right in at work. We think we can go to work and act a different fool and come in here and act like we're a little angelic being and give God praise in one mouth and then give cursings in the other. Satan fits right in. The first issue with the part of the temptation is the integrity of the word of God. Did God say? Folks, we, 
We, we hear this outside the church, and frankly, I hear it inside the church. Do we believe what the Bible says? And good Christian automatons will nod their head and say, yes, I do, until you dig a little deeper and ask more specific questions, and then you sort of get a, a stutter. Well, you know what, Pastor? God's a God of love. Oh, I just love Jesus. I love the freedom that Jesus gives me. And he, he told me, uh, and then he start making stuff up. That can live how I want to. And I'm sitting there going, inside I'm going, well, you know, I went to this church one time when it's like, we focus too much on what we can't do and we should just focus on all that we can do. To a degree, I will agree with that. To a degree, I will agree with that. But, the Bible is full of God's instruction on how we should be holy and how we're to live holy lives. And yes, we're to be loving. Yes, it's his nature. But all those make his nature. Holy, holy, holy is the one that's used in the, in the thirds part in the Hebrew. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory and that means his goodness. So let's take sin out of the let's take sin out of our, our vocabulary for a second. We're not doing that as a church. I have a couple people like, whoa. We're not taking it out of our, our just for a second. What could we use to exchange? If I was to explain to a visitor from wherever outside of the planet, let's just say they were Martians. Martians showed up and he spoke good English and I could talk to him, or he understood me. And I was explain what sin was without using the word. Any guesses? That's a good one. It's a good one. How about my will? I am going to exert my will, not God's will. I am going to do what I want to do. In a sense, if you want to look at that tree and the knowledge of good and evil, it was Adam and Eve going, we don't trust God's word and we want to be God and we want to say what is right and wrong. Some of us parents have enjoyed that process in the early stages, right? It's fun setting the, the boundaries. I know and I can say what's right and wrong and we did it. We did it. This is good, this is bad. This is good, this is bad. And why do we do it? Because we can't stand our kids? I hope not. Right? Don't eat a whole bag of Oreos. Okay? It's not good for you. Don't run in the street. Right? Don't cross until mommy or daddy says so. And what do the kids want to do? They're like, they just want to jet. They're no different from us. God said, do this, and we go. We just want to go and take off. In God's universe, his will supersedes ours. The creator gives will to the created. What do we need to know about Satan as well? 
We know this verse, most of you, I'm sure, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So we have this imagery of a snake that sits coiled and strikes when you're around. And I think that happens in some of our lives. Satan knows right where to sit and coil up, coiled, until you come over there. And he's like, here he comes. You know, you sort of look around, you know, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I, I know I shouldn't be doing this. And you go there and it's like, snake strikes. Oh, Satan got me. No. Who got who? My will superseded God's will, right? But he also does go around like a lion. And here's the thing. Satan is not omnipresent. So he's not, don't give him more glory than he deserves. Don't go, you know, and I've said this before, don't go, well, the devil got, I mean, maybe a .0001% chance that Satan was involved in that. Maybe you should have bought a new pair of tires. Maybe you should learn how to drive. Maybe you should learn how to drive the speed limit, and that goes to me, right? Maybe we need to take personal responsibility, but he's, he's going out and looking. He knows your weaknesses. He, it doesn't take an omniscience to know what your weaknesses are. He, he doesn't need to see into your mind. If I were with you, and I'm not going to do this, if I were with you and I spent a month with you and just shadowed you, it wouldn't be really hard to figure out where your weaknesses lie. And as Christians, we're called to dig in with those things and to share those things and to expose them, bring them into the light. But this is sort of like we just want to try to hide it and give people the ice top of the iceberg, saying, I got it together, my hair's made up and whatever. Or, you know, if you don't have hair, you shined your head really good. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I'm just... Forgive me, Lord Jesus. <laughs> so what do we do? What do we do? 2 Corinthians 10 says this. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, what God says is true, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We destroy, we destroy the lame arguments. Someone goes to you, well, Christianity is lame. And if you don't have a good answer to that, you're lame. Just be nice here. We should be able to destroy those arguments. Now, let me give you one I can't destroy. Then maybe it'll take some pressure off. No one, and, and I join other theologians with this, so this might just take a little re release valve on your theological view of Genesis 3. I have not had anybody give me a, an answer as to why evil exists that I can fully understand. I don't. I really don't. I, I, I trust God in his word. I study, and I should, and as, as it says, study should thyself approve on the God. I learn so that I can better understand things. I've seen where that if I follow God's precepts that I'm blessed, and if I go outside of those, that it ends up not well for me. I have seen, I grow in faith, and so some of these things are just a faith thing. But we need to understand who Satan is. So there's a, the movie Patton. Anyone seen the movie Patton before? And, and, and I'm not gonna go into Patton. He was an interesting character. 
great general, an interesting character. Um, but he was in an encounter one time with the, in, in North Africa against Rommel, the desert fox. And if you've heard any history from World War II, General Rommel in tanks was his deal. His divisions were absolutely on point. They destroyed so many. But Patton studied Rommel. And so he laid out a ambush on the desert fox and totally obliterated him. Desert fox was routed. And Patton, who had succeeded, who had succeeded by studying Rommel's writings, is jubilant. He laughs and says, Rommel, you son of a gun, I read your book. Patton didn't just sit there and go, you know what, today I'm going to spin the wheel. That's how I'm going to go at it today. I think I'm just going to go up, you know, a strike here and just sort of see how it works. No, he studied the enemy. Matter of fact, you know who else did this well? And we just lost Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant studied the moves. Michael Jordan was his hero. Michael, him, when, when in, in his first game he played against them, you could see them together and they're side by side and, and Kobe, both of those guys, unbelievable athletes, unbelievable competitors. And Kobe's like, how do you know to do this? And, and, and Michael was just says, you gotta feel them with your legs, right? And so Kobe takes note. Later on in life, Michael Jordan has been asked many times, who would you compete against and, and, and who do you think would have a chance? And the only person he felt like could have a chance at beating him was Kobe Bryant. And why? Because Kobe stole all his moves. Satan has not changed his moves too much. But if you just miss him and you go, he's oh, this is a little snake in the garden or he's just a little pitchfork guy at Halloween and we just downplay that. And we just downplay the effect of sinfulness on our earth. We, we have problems and we will not be able to defeat the enemy. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of who? God, not mine. Will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Beth, you shared this yesterday. I'm gonna put it up here. To pray, this is from Elizabeth Elliot, thy will be done, I must be willing, if the answer requires it, that my will be undone. Put that on your coffee cup, Christians. Oh, yeah, I just found this great verse. It's not this verse, but it's a great saying. I'm all about my will being undone. Who really likes that? Any volunteers? Maybe, you know, now I can tell you I don't like it, but I've seen in the longevity of walking with the Lord that my will needs to be undone. But it is the, it is the mystery of trusting an almighty God with all that we have. Next up, bad theology from the bunkers. If you're under 40, you might not know who this is, and I don't have time to explain it. It's a show called All in the Family, and Archie Bunker, who's in the center, was arguing about Christianity with his atheistic son-in-law, Michael, who he named Meathead. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. They argue about a number of unessential things. Isn't that typical? 
Christian, don't argue about unessential. Anyway. But at last, Michael asked, tell me this, Archie. If there is a God, why is the world in such a mess? Archie's dumbfounded. He stands stock still for a moment. Then he tries to bluff his way through it. He turns to his wife, Edith, and says, why do I always have to give the answer, Edith? That's lame, right? Tell this dumb Pollock why, if God has created the world, the world is such a mess. Edith answers, well, I suppose it is to make us appreciate heaven uh, better when we get there. That's it? It's an entertaining answer, but it is a bit sad as well. It had never occurred to them or to the writers that the condition of our world might be the responsibility of us. The condition of the world, look in the mirror. For us to change a massive group of people to believing what we say we believe if it is not actually being changed within us. Unless it's God's will be done and not my will be done. And so what we have in the garden is, is a play, I'm gonna use it as a play on word, is called guilt by imputation. Imputation is a theological word. And so imputation most often refers to the legal or forensic crediting of Jesus's, <clears throat> excuse me, perfect righteousness to the believer by faith for justification. Imputation says that we are being made right with God. So when Jesus imputes his righteousness to us, it is saying that we are made right. In the garden, we see something happening. Romans 5.15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. This is a hard concept. You saying because Adam messed up that I get penalty? Right? It's easy for us, right? And I'll pick on me. I, I mean, like, I probably shouldn't have eaten something I ate yesterday, right? And so if I have a high level of calories, whose fault is it? Right? We all get that. If I go and drink too much caffeine and I'm like this, that's my fault. If I do things, it's my fault. We get that. But to say that I'm going to pay for someone else's problem, or put another way, you get these kids that are in the St. Jude's cancer, and their, their bodies are broken. It's a product of the fall. When something when the chain reaction started, things began to devolve. 1 Corinthians 15, for as by one man came death, by a man has came also the resurrection of the dead. For if in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus Christ died so that those who put their trust in him could have a renewed life, new life, new heart, changing into the likeness of our creator. But what do we see in the world? You think things are going well? 
Anyone like really like what they see? How about just our nation? There's some good things. I'm not saying it's all bad. Look where sin goes to. Or I look, let me rephrase. Look where my will, your will, the will of man leads to. Romans 5, 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's not the exact verse I was looking for. Hold on. Keep going. Flip over. The uniqueness of the biblical position can be seen by noting that in the long history of the race, there have been only three basic views of human nature. Three views. They may be summarized as the view that man is well, man is sick, or man is dead. I'm going to have to move through this quickly. Which one do you think is the uh, biblical viewpoint? Dead. Good. Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead. If you're here this morning and this all sounds like, I don't know, you know, you've never experienced a walk with Jesus. You've never been exposed to what it's like to stand next to light and, and see all the blemishes in you. You know, because when you start, when I imagine as I've heard people talk, because I sort of grew up to some degree in church. I've had people, when they start in church, then they receive the truth. They start looking bad about themselves. They start feeling shame and sick because they're near light. They're near things that are saying that you're not as good as you think you are. You're not alive and well. You're not just sick. You're dead. But there's hope. Romans 1.32, and this is the verse I was thinking about. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Take most situations in our nation. Most situations. Not only, not only do we, and sometimes they, do them things that are not the will of God, but they also give approval. What happens when the will of God gets diminished and man's will raises up is that you get all these different opinions and everyone says everything is right. There is no wrong. Just do what you want. And what, is the re- and what is the response to that for us? Chaos. Chaos in our homes. Chaos in our schools. Chaos in our work environments. Chaos in our politics. 1 Corinthians 2 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are not spiritually discerned. This doesn't make sense to you because the Spirit of God hasn't brought you to light. Does that mean you walk out of here and go, ah, must not be me? No, it means that he gives this invitation to us. Come, eat of every tree of the garden. Come, trust my will. Come, believe that my son came as grace that was imputed to me. 
that grace was imputed. Come and trust him. Genesis is a beautiful opportunity for us as a church to look in the mirror. It's easy to look at Adam and Eve. It's easy to look at people across the other political environment, whichever side that you're on, and down cry on them. It's easy to write editorials in a mail, to make a video blog, and to rant against how horrible everything is. But if you and I would spend the time that Kobe played, that spent learning who he was and his weaknesses, and develop our spiritual muscle, and learn about our adversary, and learn about the enemy, and learn how God has given us victory over that, and begin to walk in it and see victory, then we rise up as a church. If not, then we fall down to the realms of, I will this to be for my life. I will this. Genesis is about beginning, betrayal, and blessing. All of us have betrayed God by our sin, by our will. All of us. But he says if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive our sins and our choosing of our will and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the blessing that the gospel offers. Would you please stand?